God. Titus chapter 3, um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Probably, I make no guarantees because things change, but probably my plan right now is to preach this exact same passage next week, uh, but just focus on some things that we don't have a, ch- uh, have a chance to focus on. It, it's a big chunk, but I, I got to get all eight verses in because eight kind of ties in the rest of them. So I got to go clear to eight, uh, but we're going to have to skip over some really, really good stuff. And so we'll probably be back here next week as well. Uh, just a completely different angle on it, okay? So chapter three, beginning in verse one, I'm going to read that. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling and be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Father, guide us through this text this morning uh, with the illumination of your spirit. God, we just invite you to... Open our eyes to truth, God, to focus our attention in. God, we pray that we might have soft and yielded hearts ready to hold fast to the word and that it would bear much fruit in us. God, please remove distraction. God, please remove uh, sin. God, please bring repentance and faith. God, we ask for your help. God, be near to us this morning. Show us how to, how to live in the world that we're in. In Christ's name, amen. All right, now, if you remember chapter two, um, we looked at a lot of relational stuff, and, and it was really all focused on relationships within the body of Christ, relationships within the church, relationships between brothers and sisters. You remember we talked about older men, uh, spent a bunch of time really talking about discipleship, mentorship relationships, you know, where these seasoned, godly men invest in younger guys, speaking truth into their lives, and modeling what it looks like to be self-controlled, to love a wife, to, to raise a family, to be a dad. We looked at older ladies, poor Going into younger ladies, teaching them how to love their children, how to love their, their, their husbands, how to, how to create a gospel-centered home. And we looked at how younger men ought to, ought to act and how younger women ought to act. And, and, and now, chapter 3, we have the same kind of relational push. Like, like, if we believe the gospel, what should that do in us practically? And how should it affect our relationships? But, but really, chapter 3 is a shift from one another, the family of God, to the world. 
all right, to, to the outside, to, to those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I say the world, I, I was thinking that may be a strange phrase to you guys, um, or at least some of you. So, so when I say the world, we're not talking about the planet. We're not talking about earth, okay? Uh, the way that, that the Bible uses the, the word the world or the phrase the world is it, really oftentimes for a, a world system that values and operates uh, in rebellion against God, all right? So it's this cultural stream that is flowing away from God and toward idols and toward prideful self-sufficiency. When the Bible talks about the world, a lot of times it's talking about a way of looking at life and at people and at money and at family, a way of looking at those things that leaves God completely out. And so in chapter three, that's really who Paul is talking about here. He's talking about how we as believers, as Christians, should relate to the world around us. A world that honestly is hostile to what we believe. It's hostile to what we cherish and what we love and and the truth that we live by and the king that we serve. And you you know what's interesting? A lot of times what what, what Paul, what what the Bible doesn't say is is almost as interesting as what it does say, right? So you you would think that that when when, when Paul is going to teach us, here's how I want you to relate with the world. You, you would think he would teach us how to stand up for our rights, you know? You would think he, he would teach us how to stand up for, for Christian values, how to win the cultural war. Man, you would think he would teach us tactics how to win an argument. And, and by the way, I think Paul would have been really good at arguing, okay? Like, like, like he was a Pharisee. This guy was smart, the you know, smartest guy in the room. Man, I, I think he could have whipped people, all right? And, and so you, you would think he would teach us, you know, how to do that, how, how, to, how to win the argument, right? But instead, Paul goes straight to how to live in such a way that protects the witness of the gospel. So isn't that strange? Like like in in a hostile environment, Paul goes immediately to, here's how I want you to live in such a way so that you don't at all ruin the message of the gospel to the world. So you don't distort it. So so, so that when people look at your life, it, it doesn't discredit the gospel. He's really teaching us how to live in such a way that opens doors for the gospel. How to live with such kindness and grace that people are open to hearing what we have to say about Jesus. Now, why? Why why would Paul immediately go there? Well, the answer to that is because the gospel changes lives. The gospel changes a culture. Now, now, please, I, I mean this. Laws are incredibly important. They have real impact on society. My, my heart breaks whenever our, our government passes dumb laws, okay? Uh, like, like that, that's, that's, it's tragic for us as a people, okay? Leaders are important. They have a real impact on the direction of our country. Judges, it, it's phenomenal to me, the power that a judge has. And, and judges are incredibly important. And when we have bad ones, we don't get justice, okay? But, but listen, Above those things, we have to remember that a culture is changed when people are changed. Hear this. People are only changed through regeneration, okay? Now, if you don't know what that word means, first of all, it means a new birth, okay? It means to be born again. We find it in our passage here. And next week, 
Lord willing, if, if we're on the same track, I'm going to talk a whole bunch about that word, okay? We don't have a lot of time to talk about it today, but just think of it in this way. People are changed when they're born again. People are changed when they're made new, when they're re rewired uh, from the inside out by the Spirit of God. That's how people are changed. And a culture is not changed unless people are changed, okay? That, that's the only way it works. You, you can't change a culture from the outside in. It's got to be changed from the inside out. And so please, please never forget that a person can be a law-abiding, moral, good citizen and perish in an eternal hell without Jesus. My daughter lives in a, a, a country where you have incredible order. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is amazing to me how 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 quickly Taiwanese people line up, you know? And they, I mean, they, there's order, very little crime, uh, very, very little, uh, um, my, my daughter feels incredibly safe, can travel anywhere, has never really had a bad experience. Um, there, was, there was a time, I think I told you about, where, um, where it was like New Year's Eve festival, and it was the last train out of Taipei, and, and there's like these thousands of people crammed into this train station, the train stops, and everybody's this massive herd moving in, and my daughter falls. She trips and, and like catches her shoe and something, falls down. There's like a policeman up on a raised standard. He says, stop, and like 5,000 people go, er! <laughs> My daughter gets up, and he's like, go, and they all go. Yeah, I mean, in like America, you'd be trampled, you know. <laughs> It'd be over. <laughs> but listen, that doesn't save people. There's, there's a country full of Taiwanese people that don't know the gospel. Our proclaiming of the gospel, our witness of the gospel to the culture that we live in, are practically living in front of our culture, living out the truth of the gospel, is paramount, okay? Now, rulers and authorities that don't love Jesus, that don't live by the standard of God's law, rulers who don't, prom uh, who, who don't promote good values, who promote lies, they're, they're oppressive, and they're unjust, and they promote things that are godless. And... And that makes what I'm about to say really hard. You know, it's interesting that Paul starts out with the word remind, okay? Why does he start out in chapter three, verse one with the remind? You know why? Because this is one of those things that we probably know, but man, it is just so aggravatingly hard that we have to be reminded over and over again, okay? Be because it's hard to not speak evil of a culture that's evil. It's hard to avoid quarreling when we disagree and are at odds with a ton of things our culture and our government and society at large stands for. It is hard to be gentle with a culture that is cramming its lies down your throat. I mean, it's hard. It's just hard. I don't even think I need to convince you of that. It's just hard. It's hard, which is why we need to be reminded. Because if we become hostile toward a culture that is hostile to the gospel, we will not bring the gospel to that culture. And they won't be born again. And things won't change. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I think, I think there's a lot of, of ways that we can mis misunderstand what Paul's saying here. So, like, I, I want to be clear. Um, None of what Paul is about to command here advocates compromising truth, okay? Speaking truth is not unloving. I, 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 we, please understand. Please hear that. That's the other side of this. Speaking truth is not unloving. 
It, it, it isn't. Like our culture is going to try to tell you that, but it really isn't. Now, now how you speak it can be unloving, okay? But telling someone what is true and what is false is not unloving. Now, being rude is unloving. Being malicious, being slanderous, being arrogant, being prideful, that's unloving, okay? But Paul is describing the character of our lives, the way we live among those who, who don't have the gospel, who are without Christ, who are opposed to Christ, who are indifferent to Christ. And what he's saying in 1 and 2 really is a missional statement, okay? It is how we posture ourselves to open the door for the gospel, to confirm the truth of the gospel in people's lives. I want you to go all the way to verse 8, okay? So, so let me just break this down, kind of outline it for you. So verse 1 and 2 is, hey, hey this is the way you need to, to act toward the world, okay? And it's a bunch of hard things, like, like being submissive to authorities and, 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 and rulers and speaking evil of no one and being gentle and, and perfect courtesy toward all people. And then verse 3 begins a section where he says, because don't you remember who you were? <laughs> don't you remember? Remember how you were before you came to know Christ? And then he describes us. And, and then he says, and don't you remember what God did? And then he describes regeneration, okay? And then he ends with this verse, verse 8. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God, those who are believers, might be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then this last sentence is beautiful. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You, you know what profitable means, right? Like it's useful, like it works, okay? These things are profitable for people. In other words, living this way, living like the way verses one and two tell you to live, that, that is useful, profitable for the gospel. It opens doors for the gospel. Living this way is profitable for our culture. It just says people, people in general, like all people, for our culture, for America, for the world. And so let's go back. Verse 1, what are we to be reminded of? First thing, maybe the hardest. Well, maybe not. I, I don't know. Um, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, I, I said this a couple weeks ago. Americans are just not very good at submissiveness, right? Um, that is not really a virtue in our culture. We don't like to submit to authority. We generally don't like authority at all. But the Bible is really clear that, that God has set up government, authority, rulers, um, for the sake, for his sake, for, for the sake of good, for the sake of the good of the people, and that we are to respect that authority. Let me, let me read you kind of the classic passage on this. It's Romans chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. Isn't that great? There's no authority except from God. No authority exists except that is under God, okay? And those that exist have been instituted by God. That, that, that really raises some questions, Lord. What, what, what are you doing, right? Um, they're, they're, what, what, what's going on? Like, what's your plan? How, how, are, you, how are you working, okay? Verse 2, therefore, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror uh, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, uh, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, we must be in subjection. Anyway, he goes on and on. Classic, classic passage. Now, here's what's true. Seldom are rulers great examples of Christ-like conduct. I think there have been some. Uh, there, there have been some. But if you take all the rulers of the world and like put them all in, in, in a room, everybody's ever been a ruler of the, of the world, uh, what you're going to find is that not very many of them guys look like Jesus. Okay, And, and so what that means is this is going to be hard. Now, now, there is an exception to this, a very clear exception to this. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, Peter and John run into the exception, and they give us the, the model, the example. Whenever the government tells you to do something that is in direct contradiction to the Word of God, then you're, you're to obey God before you obey the government. Okay, so the government tells you, hey, you... Uh, you, you need to sin. Like they, they're, they're telling you to do something that is sin, then, then you, you can't, you all right? So Peter and John say in, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, when the government tells them, hey, you can't talk about Jesus anymore, they said, hey, in verse 19, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you, you be the judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Now, fortunately, most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, that isn't the situation, by and large, okay? So most of the time, what we're dealing with is taxes that are ridiculous, laws that are squirrely, speed limits that are too slow, spending that's out of control, and regulations that are oppressive, right? Most of the time, that's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. Most of the time, it, it's not the case of a, you know, I'm making you sin against God, okay? And, and we, we don't like it, but we absolutely need to submit to that authority. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't use the democratic channels that our government provides, the votes, the representatives that, that we can call and, and, and use that democratic process. Absolutely, can we do all of those things? But we still are to submit ourselves to the government. Now, why? Why? When they're wrong, why? Well, listen, listen to what G, listen to what John MacArthur said. Um, I, I, I like this so much that I just put it in here, and I'm just going to quote it to you. Here's what John MacArthur said. He said, Believers can obey and submit to the authority of rulers because this demonstrates to the world that the ways of the world are not to be major concerns for believers. Our work is in this world, but not of it, because our true citizenship is from heaven. So really, really what... MacArthur's tying into is, is a, a verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 that says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform the low, our lowly body, be like his glorious body, the power that enables even him even to subject all things to himself. Re really, what, what I hear him saying, what I believe is true, is that we're part of a different kingdom, one, one, is, one that is coming and cannot be stopped, okay? And, and, and because of that, you, you, have, you have big issues and you have small issues. And most of the time, things of the government are actually the small issues. They, they don't seem like it at the time, but they're actually much bigger issues. The gospel is a bigger factor than anything going on in, in American government. Um, I think we see this in Jesus. In, in Matthew 22, um, we got some guys trying to trap Jesus. And so they're trying to get him to weigh in on taxes in Rome. And so they ask him, hey, is it, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Okay, and I want you to listen to how Jesus answers, okay? We'll pick it up here in, um, let's pick it up in 17. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him into Nera, and Jesus said to them, whose likeness or inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God." 
And when they heard it, they marveled, and, and, and they all left him and went away. Now, here's what's true. Jesus absolutely could have weighed in on the issues of Roman taxation. Um, I, I, I bet he had a lot to say. I bet he had a lot to say. I, I would have really loved to hear his thoughts, okay? Because the, the Roman government was impressive. I mean, like oppressive at a level that we've never seen, all right? Like they come in and they wipe you out and they kill all your army and they take over your country and then they say, okay, now you're one of us and by the way, you owe this much and it's whatever we say. Uh, and and if, you, if, you, if you cause trouble, then we'll crucify you. Now, that, that's the Roman government. I, I think Jesus probably had some things to say about that. You know, not, not only were they oppressive, but just honestly, if you, if, you, if you ever took history of the Roman Empire in high school or college, here's what you, what you know. Most of the Caesars were incestuous, idolatrous, blasphemous, immoral, murderous, and half the time they were lunatics, really. Like, like these guys were, were off the chain, all right? Surely Jesus had things to weigh in, right? But he says, hey, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and God the things that are God's. What, what's he saying there? I think he's saying, hey, I've got bigger fish to fry here. I, I'm, I'm saving the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm living the perfect life, and I'm about to die a, a crucified death for the sins and the salvation of a multitude. I'm ushering in a new heavens and a new earth. His kingdom is superior to that of Rome. In fact, long after the Roman Empire lies in dust, long after the Nazis are only a despised page in history, long after the Soviet Union is a failed experiment, and long after America is a distant blip on the eternal timeline, Jesus will sit on the throne. Okay, Jesus will reign supreme. The saints will be flourishing in fullness of joy. The new Jerusalem will be the center of the heavens and earth. And so I think what Jesus is kind of teaching us there is give big attention to big things and give small attention to small things. So be submissive to the governing authorities. Number two, be ready for every good work. Uh, we're going to talk more about this next week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We've already talked about it several times. I would just say this. I think what Paul is saying is be ready to serve your community. Be, be ready to, to do good things for lost people. Be looking for, I think be ready means like be intentional. Be, be looking for ways to be a blessing to your neighbors. Actively seek to do so because it opens the door for the gospel. Next, verse two, speak evil of no one. I have never read this verse in 30 some years of being a Christian. I've never read this verse when it didn't sting me a little bit. Um, speak evil of no one. I, I wish there was a parameter on that. I wish there were like an exception clause to that. Um, but speak evil of no one. All right, now, now that's tricky. It's tricky, okay? I, I, I think it's okay for me to say I disagree with somebody. I think that's okay. I think it's okay for me to say I think that guy's wrong. I think it's okay for me to, even of a leader, I think it's okay for me to say I, I, they, they're not lining up with truth. They're, they're not doing what is good for I think it's okay for me to do that. I think it's not okay. I think it's not helpful to deride, to curse, to insult, to malign, to take kind of a prideful posture of describing somebody as worthless. You know what? What I always have to remember is any person I'm talking about, no matter how evil they are, is made in the image of God. In the book of James, there's this interesting verse about the tongue. And, and James says in chapter 3, he says... Um, in verse 9, 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father. We just did that, didn't we? Uh, we, we just did that. We, we all with our tongues blessed God just a little bit ago, okay? So in verse 9 it says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Next, verse 2, avoid quarreling. We shouldn't be looking for a fight. We, sh- we shouldn't be picking a fight. Show perfect courtesy. Man, that's a beautiful phrase. In in, in the Greek, it translates a a word that I really love, uh, proudest. It's it's a word meekness. It's a word that means kind of gentleness, power under control. It's kind of a humility, considerateness, thoughtfulness, careful way of dealing with others. In in other words, use use your words for your influence, your power, in in a way that does good. Um, The wind's blowing today. Um, you know, wind is, is a great example of something that can turn a windmill and fill a stock tank or something that can level a city. And, and, and I think in the same way, you know, our words, our influence, our power, it, it, it can do good if, if it's under meekness, if, if it is, is this harnessed and controlled and, and, and it's powerful, but it, it's showing perfect courtesy and meekness and strategicness, or it can be out of control. All right, now, why? Why should we be submissive to authorities, be obedient, be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy to all people. Why should we do that when people often are evil, wicked, and wrong? Okay, verse three. Because we, remember that we, this, this stings a little bit, we were just like that. Go ahead and say it. It's okay. Go ahead and say it. I wasn't like that, right? Go ahead, go ahead, it's all right. I, but I wasn't like that, right? And you got, you got somebody in mind. You got some crazy, you know, out of their mind, dude saying all kinds of ridiculous stuff, right? And you're like, whoa, I was not like that. It, it, it's all right, I know you want to. It's okay to say, I was not like that, right? That, that's what we want to say, not me. Now, I was bad, but I wasn't like that. I've never acted that way. I've never thought that way. I've never promoted that kind of godless agenda, never, never, in my life. Okay, but let's get our theology right. But there was a time when you were not a believer, okay? Please don't be one of those people. I, I, I run into these folks quite a bit, and I'll ask them, tell me, tell me about, you know, when did you become a Christian? And they say, I've always been a Christian. And I say, that is not right. <laughs> not according to the Bible, you haven't. You haven't always been a Christian. Um, According to the Bible, you're born in sin, right? All of Romans 3, you're you're born in sin. There's none righteous. No, not one. Okay? Let's get our theology right. No one is born a believer. You were born in sin. You were born with a heart that did not honor, that did not value God, that did not love God, that did not seek God. You were born a little idolater, okay? Worshiping everything but God, especially yourself. We were all on that path. By the way, there's tons of passages in the Bible that, that describe this. So one of my favorites is Ephesians 2. It begins at verse 1 says, and says, You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons' obedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You're not an exception to that. 
You are that. Now, some of you had godly parents. You, you should call and thank them today. So some of you grew up in a great church where, where you were surrounded with disciples, where, where you were taught multiple times a week the scriptures. Some of you grew up in homes where before, before you, you ate lunch or dinner, you recited the catechism and you were immersed in the truth of God and, and you had people who were praying for you and building fences around your life through the word of God and through prayer that served as bumpers to keep you from the consequences of the evil that's in you. Praise God for that. Wow, you have been blessed. Others of you, you had less. You had less fences. You had less opportunity to hear the gospel. Maybe you didn't have people praying for you, and the longer you lived, the more you plunged into darkness, and you were making quite a mess of your life when God saved you. There's, there's probably both those groups of people in here, right? But either way, we were all on the track. We were all on the same path. We were all on the road to hell. And if you were spared the depths of sin and, and, and its consequences, please do not think somehow you are superior to sinners. Okay? That's the thing that will anger God is if, if you say, well, you know what? I didn't plunge into that. You know, I was a little bad, but I, I wasn't ever that. And so there must be something about me that is better. That's a lie. What if you'd been born in a crack house? What if you'd been raised by addicts? What if your childhood was filled with painful tragedy? What if instead of Bible stories, you saw pornography before bed? What if instead of loving affirmation, you got rage and fists? What if instead of opportunity, you got obstacles? I, I, I tend to think you'd probably be twice the son of hell as that person that you look down upon. I think sometimes we find ourselves believing that we are above men who maybe like David sinned with Bathsheba. I'm always asking myself, but have I not been spared that situation? I don't know what it's like to be king. I don't know what it's like to say, hey, bring her to me. I'm glad I don't know what that's like. So it says we. Notice verse 3. For we... We ourselves, we ourselves were once foolish. Remember what the Psalms says about the fool? The fool says in his heart there is no God. We, we once did not think of God rightly. We, we once said in our heart that, that we're God. I'm what matters. I'm what counts. We, we, we all likewise have turned away and rebelled against God. And therefore we need to be reminded you were once foolish. We need to be reminded, you were once disobedient. Look at verse 3. Led astray. That means deceived. We believe lies. Lies about ourselves. lies about God, lies about life, lies about others. And, and you know, one of the things that Christians get really upset at is the lies in our culture. Don't, don't you? I, 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 get, I get upset when our culture says, this rapper who releases this barrage of the filthiest language possible is virtuous. Dr. Seuss, he's a bad guy. You know, um, Mr. Potato Head, we got to throw him. Yeah, those, those things are aggravating. 
They're aggravating. But listen, we once believed the lies. You see, Paul says it's important that you remember that. You once were led astray. Like, like you, you believed the lies. The lies that were destroying people, you believed them. We need to be reminded of that. Look at the next phrase. You were once slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. You know what that means? Stuck in sin. Okay? Slaves to our own deceitful desires. Man, I, I, I see people every day who, who know that they are sinning, who know that they're living in a way that is not pleasing to God. They know that with their words and their actions, with their unfaithfulness, with their broken promises, they know they've hurt people and they've destroyed themselves. They feel guilty. They feel ashamed. They have horrible regrets. But listen, listen. They can't get out. They, they can't get out. They can't say no to their sin. They can't say no to their desires. When their impulses arise, they're, they're, they're just bowled over by them. Why? Because they're slaves to various passions and pleasures. And you once were a slave to sin. And you couldn't get out. Passing our days, verse 3 says, in malice and in envy. Malice is wishing bad things that happen to other people and hoping that they pay Get what they deserve. And envy is being never satisfied, always wanting more. Wishing that the good things that happened to others didn't happen to them and they happened to us. It's the opposite of love. This phrase is interesting. Hated by others and hating one another. Man, there's a lot of hate in our society. Hating people who have wronged us. Hating people who have taken things from us. Hating people who... At work and people in family and people who stand in the way of our dreams, getting what we want. And Paul says, be reminded that's how you lived. That's how you were. That was us. But, okay, this is where things turn around for us, okay? You ready? Verse four. But, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to our own, his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. There's that new birth idea again. And renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay? So, so what happened here? Okay? Here's what's clear. I didn't do it, and you didn't do it. Okay? Uh, it, it was not that we found self-discipline. It was not that by the force of my will I fixed myself. No, no, no. Verse 5 is clear. Not on the basis of deeds. Not on the basis of works. Not my righteousness. I can't claim credit. I can't say, hey, look at what I did, stupid. You know, how, how come you're still there and I'm over here? I can't say that. Because it's not me. It's not you. It's God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God appeared. There's that word appeared again. Remember from last week? His coming, right? But Jesus came. God, God showered his goodness and loving kindness on us through the coming of Jesus. And God loved us. His loving kindness. Not in some cheap way. 
I think, I think sometimes we cheapen love up to, hey, give me my whims, give me what I want. No, no, no. God, God loved us in that he saved us by sending Jesus to save you. Not, not because you were good or deserved it, but because you were foolish, disobedient, lying, deceived, a slave to your sinful passions, hateful and hated, malicious and envious. That, that's right out of the scriptures there. That was us, and he saved us because of his mercy, and he made us alive through regeneration. Again, next week, we're jumping into that. He, he made us alive. You were dead. Remember Paul, Ephesians 2, 1? You were dead, and God made you alive. And now you're justified by his grace. And now you're righteous in Jesus. And now you're an heir according to the hope of eternal life. And, and, and so let's, let's, let's finish with just some, what does this mean for, for us in the world? Considering that that was us, and that God intervened by his grace, three important things. Just real quick. Number one, should I have a posture of arrogance or pride toward the world? Should I have an attitude of, I can't believe that. I can't believe you're so whatever. I think my attitude should be, except for the grace of God, that would be me. Any and all of it. There's this great verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It's been a really a changer for me, a life changer. Verse 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if, you re- if, you receive, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do you have that you did not receive? You, you know what that verse does? That just grounds me in humility. Right? It just grounds me in, you know what? Whatever the worst is out there, the only reason I'm not worse than that is Jesus. That's the only reason. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Nothing. Number two. If that was me and God reached out to me in my sin, in my brokenness, and lavished upon me his goodness and loving kindness, then how should I respond to sinners? If I was that, and God responded to me with loving kindness and mercy, then how should I respond to sinners? Should it not be with the same loving kindness and mercy? Should I not be gentle? Should should I not speak truth Yes, just as God spoke truth to me. Should, should, I, should I not do it, though, with love and forbearance and kindness and perfect courtesy and lots of compassion? And then number three, if that was me and the only hope for me was regeneration, then the only hope for the world is what? It's regeneration. It's the gospel. And so monumentally important is that my life and your lives pave the way for the gospel. That everything we do is done in such a way that opens the door for the gospel, for the truth of Jesus Christ, for the beauty of him crucified, resurrected, and available to the world. That should be our strategy. Let's ask for help.
Father, I, I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to, God to, to posture ourselves in a way that brings the gospel to Woodward. Father, I, I've not done a good job. Father, I, I've not done a good job in reaching my community. And so, Lord, I pray, God, make me ready for every good work. Make me gentle and forbearing. God, make me kind and, and good. God, make my life such, such a representation of Jesus' life that doors for the gospel begin to fly open. God, I pray, Father, that you would give us an opportunity to bring your story to the people that we live around. God, we were just like that. Whatever that is, Father, we, we were that. And you saved us, God. You, you plucked our feet out of the fires of hell by, by your mercy, because of your grace. God, you made us alive. And God, we're asking that you make others alive. Father, we're asking that you draw them into yourself. Father, we pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.